Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Michelle Yu from SNY. Hey, I'm Diamond. And I'm your Katie. And, and this, this is 185. What's up? This is Mark John Jeffries. Complimented. Hey, what's up? This is Ivy Rivera. This is Brevin Knight. You're listening to Scoop the Radio. I love it. Love it. Love it. Hey, yo, check this out, son. Yeah. Watch out. Watch man. out. Watch now listening to Scoopy Radio. Everybody, please turn up the stereo. Tell a friend to tell a friend to let their family know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scoop about to take the glow. Man, yeah, we're about to blow. Yeah. Five, four, three, we on the air. I know they gonna love this one, I swear. He what you needed, what you wanna. Yeah. He's the man with the plan. Uh, need the scope. He got the scope. He got the trophy man the out. He rang the bells. You know it's well the interviews to get pills. Now listen to yeah. radio. Everybody please turn up the stereo. Tell a friend to tell a friend to let their family know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scoop about to take the glow. Man, yeah, we're about to blow. Yeah. Man, man. On his Instagram Yo. now. At Follow Scoop him. B. At Scoop B. Follow him. Yes, sir. Scoop B Radio. Scoop B Radio. The airwaves on the plane on the train, everywhere you need to be. I am Brandon Scoopy Robinson. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at ScoopB. Instagram and Snapchat at Scoop underscore B. And make sure, most importantly, that you subscribe to the Scoop B Radio Podcast, which is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn, App, Stitcher app, or simply by visiting ScoopBradio.com. It's late this week on the Scoopy Radio Podcast. And what better way uh, to get that moving to my main man. We've been playing phone tag for about two weeks. John Sellerspan, uh, the 30th overall pick in the 1999 NBA draft by the Los Angeles Lakers. John, welcome to the Scoopy Radio Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How are you and your family doing uh, with everything going on with the coronavirus pandemic? Yeah, I would say we're blessed. Uh, you know, right now, with so many people being uh you know, affected. You know, you you, you just think you're. You, you know, you, you you thank God for the blessings that you do have. You know, obviously, you know, I have a 
a young child. He's six years old. My wife's working from home. I'm working from home. So there's a lot of stress uh, when it comes to homeschooling and trying to connect them with his teachers and then trying to do our, our regular nine-to-five jobs. Uh, but with that said, you know, nobody in our family has been affected by the virus. So I would have to say that we're blessed. Um, there are so many people around us, uh, so many friends that have had people that are affected or people that have lost people. So I try to keep that in mind, um, even when we're struggling, trying to adapt to this this new normal, you know, here here in the world. No, that's real. Uh, and, and it's important. Um, I, I feel like this year has just been a very interesting year, um, starting with uh, January 26th, uh, the day that uh, a legend uh, passed away in Kobe Bryant. Um, and, and then it, it kind of, you know, we took a break, and then here we are now. Uh, we're dealing with coronavirus and just everything going on. Um, uh, I'm curious to know from your perspective, um, how are you healing from that process, and what did you take away from Kobe Bryant as a man? Yeah. You know, um, I, I don't know if I'm healed from losing one of the greats and Kobe Bryant. You know, there's so much that I've been able to accomplish in my life simply because of my association with Kobe Bryant. You know, my my, my time playing with Kobe Bryant, with the legend. So, you know, we, you move on and you move forward, but the word heal, man, that's tough because I just don't know if I can ever heal from losing somebody that was so instrumental in my life and so great. I don't know if I could ever heal all the way. Um, he 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 had done so much uh, for the world, for basketball, uh, for his family, and he was doing so much more. So it's going to be tough. Uh, you know, it's going to be really tough. Now the coronavirus coming up right after that, um, I, I guess, kind of distracted you from that. We had just thought lost a, a great legend, but um, you know, I from from being around a guy like that. And the work ethic that he had and the amount of time that he put into the game of basketball, even though he was already supremely talented, you know, spending a year watching him work, I, I, I've taken so much from him. And, you know, I apply it not only to my basketball career, even after I left the Lakers and I played overseas and I would tell stories and I would get to practice early, just like I always did, but I tried to mimic what he was doing. But um, even after basketball, when when you when you get into quote unquote what we call the real world, and you got a nine to five or you got a business, or you, you know you try to take some of those attributes and some of those some of those things you learn from watching some of the greats, and uh, he was definitely one of those. And I, I saw it close his work after getting up early, being there way before everybody else, staying late, being uh, introspective and and asking questions. That's the biggest thing with Kobe Bryant. He asked a lot of questions, man. He wanted to understand. What are you reading? How do you, you know, why do you come early to practice? Why do you stay late? When you come early, what are you working on? And it didn't matter if you were a superstar or if you had gotten into the bench. He was always trying to learn. So, um, you know, we're going to miss him, man. And, um, you know, I just hope that um, we can remember all the great things that, that he's accomplished as a basketball player, but also what he was becoming as a family man School or what he was. Radio. You know, I didn't even say becoming. What he was as a father, you know? And, and a husband. Did you go to the memorial? No, I did not. I, I did not attend the memorial in Los Angeles. Um, and I and I'll be honest, 
I watch the memorial from here, for me, it was too hard. You know, my wife, she really pushed me. She said, John, you know, I think you should go. Um, and I'm going to tell you, I, I felt like it was too hard for me to go out to L.A. and be around all of those people. And I know that sounds crazy because most people want to be around others mm -hmm. and they want to be around ex-teammates. But for me, I kind of wanted it to be simple. I wanted to sit and have my own thoughts. I didn't want those to be interrupted, and I wanted to just sit by myself and remember him. I didn't feel like I could do that with, uh, you know, all the celebrities around and all the different people, you know. And I know that that, that for some people may not make sense, but it was best uh, for me, you know. You first met or knew of Kobe Bryant. I, I went to Eastern University, which was down the street from Villanova. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you went to Villanova where you were the man. Um, you had heard of, of Kobe having played not too far from Nova at Lower Marion in Ardmore. Um, what was the buzz like in high school while you were in college at Nova? Oh, man. It was, um, it was, it, it was almost sticking me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I, I mean, yeah, that's the best word I can use. The, the one thing I, I, I want to express is that I played against Kobe Bryant when I was in high school. Scoop B Radio. So even before I got to Villanova, I had played against Kobe Bryant in a big-time AAU game down in Florida. Um, it's, it's an interesting story because on my team, it was me and Elton Brand. Mm. And um, on their team, it was... Kobe Bryant, Tim Thomas, Vince Carter, and Kevin Freeman from mm -hmm. they went to UConn. The, the only, one of the only things that saved us was that Vince Carter did not show up that day because he he was actually attending the prom, so he was on the team but he didn't play. So it was my first time playing against Kobe, and uh, you know Tim Thomas. I knew about him being from Jersey. He's from Patterson. I'm from Piscataway. I had played against Tim Thomas in the tournament champion, so I knew what he could do. But I had Kobe Bryant was somebody I had heard about, but I had never played against him. Mm -hmm. And um, we had Elton Brand, who at that time was a sophomore. He was kind of chubby. So, you know, I was kind of like, you know, I went out there and I had a big game and I had like 43 points or something. You know, I, I remember like Tim Thomas, man, he had like 28 points in the first half. Kevin Freeman was doing a lot of work. But um, Kobe Bryant, man, he had 50 points. I think, no, I think it was 55. Yeah. Um, and we did everything we could to stop this guy, man. It was unbelievable. We were talking junk. We were trying to get into his head. He was supremely focused then. Um, and I will never forget that AAU game because there was so much talent just in that game. So I go off to Villanova, and I play as a freshman at Villanova where Kobe Bryant's going to college right around the corner. So there are a few times where I walk out of the locker room after practice, and they're playing in our arena. I remember one game they were playing against, I think it was Chester. High school and some kind of state tournament game and EIAA. Yeah, the gym was packed, man, and we couldn't even pack the gym like that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and I remember standing and watching a little bit of the game, and I had to go off to class or something like that. It was at night, but um, that I got a quick glimpse, you know, of what he could do. But I had already known what he could do from from high school, and there were a few times he was on campus. You know, we were recruiting him. 
we were trying to get him to come to Villanova, but he had in his mind that he was uh, going straight to the NBA. And even though back then that was kind of crazy to think, especially for a guard, um, he went and did it, man. Help me understand something, uh, Scoopy Radio on the line with John Fellastan. You mentioned that he dropped 55 points against you in AAU. Was it allowed or a quiet 55? Oh, man. Um, I want to say it was a quiet 55. And the reason why I say that is because usually when somebody scores 55 points, there's nobody else in the game that, you dropping those type of numbers, right? Mm-hmm. But like I said, I had like 43. Tim Thomas, I only remember he had 28 at halftime, so I'm assuming he probably went for like 38 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Elton Brand must have had like 25 points, and he probably would have had 40, but I remember Elton Brand missed like 15 free throws, man. He was a terrible free throw shooter back then, <laughs> you know? So as great as the game was, I remember Kobe, he probably, I think he went like 20 for 20 from the free throw line. So right. 20 of those 50 points came on us following them, you know? So that's the only reason why I would say it was a quiet 55. If, if you can even say a 55 is quiet, but his talent level, it, it was phenomenal. And, and his focus and his maturity and his intensity was what, to me, made him head and shoulders above the rest of us. You, by the time you had gotten to the Lakers, Phil uh, Jackson was the head coach at that point, correct? Yeah, it was his first year. What was the dynamic? Um, was there an adjustment for everybody in year one in L.A. after, I believe at that point, Dell Harris had left? What, what, was the, what were you hearing about the previous coaching staff and yeah. the transition with Phil Jackson there in L.A.? Were you there now? Well, for me, it wasn't a transition at all because I was a rookie. So I was, this was my first. I'm coming in right. and I'm playing with Phil Jackson. For the rest of the guys, um, and remember, I'm a rookie, so I'm not there with them the year before when they're, when they're playing for Del Harris. You know, you got to remember Dennis Rodman was there the year before, and that, was, that wasn't that uh, was the best of Dennis Rodman's, you know, career when he played for the Lakers. But at 73. Yeah, he was 73. So, you know, I was hearing the stories about how dysfunctional the locker room was. But but I think the adjustment mostly was that Phil was not as much of a hands-on coach as he was a manager. And his whole thing was kind of breaking everything back down and getting us to learn how to play basketball and to be one as a team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you got to remember now, he's bringing in a whole new offense. So. For me, it put me on an equal footing with everybody else because I didn't have to come in and learn an offense that they all knew. We were all learning the same thing together. And by the way, I probably was ahead of them now that I think about it because I played in the summer league, the rookie summer league, and we learned the triangle offense then. So a lot of these guys, like even Kobe Bryant, Derek Fisher, Shaq, they're just learning it, you know, right in training camp. So I, I I think I had a leg up from that standpoint. Um, but, but it was more getting used to, you know, the way Phil coached, um, getting used to, you know, he was a Zen Buddhist, so we did a lot of meditation. He was introducing all of these things outside of basketball that a lot of guys, especially macho guys like ourselves, athletes that we had never done. This is before, like, yoga and all these things became 
the, the, the craze, you know, this is 99. So, yeah. you know, what are you talking about? We meditate. What are you talking about? We doing yoga. What are you talking about? We, you burn an incense in the locker room, you know, what's the stage, right? Yeah, stage, excuse me, stage. <laughs> what the hell does that have to do with basketball? So it's all of these things that we're um, figuring out with Phil and him giving us books to read and those type of things, you know? So um, I think we were all trying to figure it out. And, you know, there are guys that were kind of like, I, you know, I, 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 remember, I remember Robert Ory was on the team. And, um, you know, most of us were in awe of Phil Jackson because he. Here you are, you, you know, you played for Phil Jackson and Phil Jackson coached Michael Scoop Jordan, Scottie Pippen, right? Yeah. But I remember there was a little tug of war with him and Rob Ory because um, Rob Ory was, was like, look, I won two championships, you know, <laughs> I got two rings. I know, I know how to win. So I don't need to listen, you know? And that was an interesting dynamic for me because I was like, wow, you know, it was a little tug of war there. Like, I'm, I don't sweat you, you know? And they had some friction at the beginning of the season, but then they, they worked it out, you know? So, um, yeah, it was a lot going on. It was a lot going on. Tell me understand something. I spoke to Scott Burrell last week, and mm-hmm. um, him uh, playing on, you know, the, 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 the last dance championship team, as we'll now call them, uh, where, you know, the, the last year that Michael played in Chicago. And I asked him about, like, Tex Winter and, and just, you know, Frank yeah. Hamlin and Jim Clemens <laughs> and all those guys. Yeah. What was Tex Winter like? Unorthodox, man. Um, an old guy who truly believed in the triangle offense. I think he was one of the inventors, right? Well, uh, yeah. So basketball was pure to him, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't matter if he was Kobe Bryant, Shaquille No, He didn't sweat none of those guys, right? He he coached with Michael Jordan, Scotty Tippen. So he was just an old guy that was in the basketball. Mm-hmm. And all of the glamour and the glitz of L.A. and Kobe and Shaq didn't matter to him, right? Mm-hmm. He just wanted you to play the game the right way. I mean, they, they actually taught us how to chess pass, man. I mean, it was like, it was like we're pros, right? And they're teaching us the correct way to throw a chess pass. Like, mm-hmm. like we're in the fifth grade. Like, they <laughs> broke it down to that, you know? So um, it, it was really all about the fundamentals with Tex. He didn't care how many times you could dribble between your legs, how many times you could dunk. Can you make that, you know, that drop pass is what he called it. Or can you make that, they call something the blind pig or the pinch post pass. You know, you couldn't do things your way. You had to do it the correct way and how they learned, how they taught the game. And that was hard for a lot of guys at the beginning, you know. It was hard for a lot of guys. Will Purdue told me, um, it told me a funny story about Tex Winter. He said that one day the Bulls were on a plane and Tex Winter had a bag full of like paperwork. So they were on the plane. He goes, Tex, what are you doing? He goes, I'm reading my mail. This is the only time that I can read my mail because they're on the road. Here's a letter from Publishers Clearinghouse. I'm trying to win the big bucks. <laughs> Does that sound like Tex Winter? Did you ever have any instances like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tex was, I'm telling you, like I said, the word for him was unorthodox. And mm-hmm. he, he, he was definitely, um, I, there was nothing sexy about Tex. You know, <laughs> there was, there was nothing, he, 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 there was no swagger. It was just, he was just an old guy that loved basketball and was a little quirky. 
Um, but he could get into you. He would get into you, and he didn't care if you were Shaq or if you were Kobe. He'd get into you if you, you weren't playing the game the right way, you know? And you had to respect a guy like that, you know? Kobe um, to me, for many people that I've spoken to, was kind of to himself uh, his, his first few years. Um, and it seemed that because he was young, a lot of older veterans did not adapt to him. Um, but you always knew that there was something special. From your indication of playing in college and then going to the NBA, did you feel that there was a disconnect between young Kobe and veteran players? Definitely. Um, you got to understand, Kobe, most of these guys that are playing in the NBA, they've gone to college. They've um, fraternized with their teammates in college, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, most of these guys have grown up in certain types of neighborhoods. You know, not all the same, but you know, a lot of NBA players from urban neighborhoods, right? Um, Kobe, Kobe didn't. He was different. He grew up in Europe. You know, he came over to Philly or Lower Marion. He must have what eighth grade, ninth grade, something like that. You know, he wasn't like he grew up the same as the rest of us. Kobe right. wasn't. Um, you know, like I said, he didn't go to college. He didn't play four years. He didn't play two years. You know, he played one year in college, so he didn't have that. Um, he wasn't into the same things off the court that a lot of other, quote-unquote, typical athletes were into, right? He wasn't playing cards on the on the flight. He wasn't hanging out at the clubs for the most part, you know? I, I really saw him drink alcohol. I don't think he even drank alcohol that much, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was different, but it could come off as, Standoffish, it could come off as um, the Diddy or Uppity, right? Yeah. But but I think he was focused on basketball, and when he came into the league, he was eighteen, so there was a lot of things he couldn't do anyway, right? Yeah. That other guys could do. So he probably learned to just surround himself with basketball and um, just live and breathe basketball. What else is an eighteen-year-old gonna do? In Los Angeles, right? When you when you first you've never been away from home, really, and I, you know I, I, that's just the way he was. When I got there, he was twenty one. Right, I must have been twenty two. I'm I think I'm one year older than Kobe Bryant, but he just wasn't into those type of things. And you know I understood that because you know not everybody does things exactly the same. And you know Shaq was totally different. Shaq was out. Shaq was a partier. Shaq was an extrovert. Shaq was life of the party, and Kobe was more introspective, a little more quiet, a little more serious. You know, he might be reading the book, like a, a book like The Art of War on a, on a plane, while everybody else is making jokes. That's hmm. just who he was. When you played against, or when you were in practice with Kobe, um, did you feel as though he was trying to be Nick Jordan, or was he just naturally playing like him? Oh, man, it is always a tough one for me because I think, I don't know if you, I think sometimes, man, you can watch somebody so much that you subconsciously start doing things like them and you don't even know. Agreed. You know what I'm saying? I don't think he went out to say, yo, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to be Michael Jordan. 
but I think he watched so much tape and he had the same body frame for the most part as Michael. I think Michael was six six, Kobe might have been six seven, right? Mm-hmm. They probably were around the same weight, you know? They played the same position. So I think it just starts to you watch Come Fly with me videos, you watch how he walks. You don't go out and try to do it. It just happens. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It just happens. And, you know, if you're not the same height and the same weight and all that, then it it won't look exactly. But they were kind of built similar. So it did look like he was trying to do that. I mean, Shaq would always say, look a little Mike, look a little Mike over there. Like, you know, and I never thought Kobe was trying to do it purposely. I just think it, it just, it was just like kind of like by osmosis, you know? Yeah, when you look at hip-hop, for example, uh, Mace had that lazy flow. Then you look at guys like Lloyd Banks and look at Fabulous. Right. People can make that make that argument. Or you see like Ja Rule or DMS and people are like, yeah, they shout the same. So the right. one is trying to copy off the other. Right, right. It's not always copying. Sometimes it's just watching and absorbing. And, you know, people say Nas sounded like Rock Kim. And mm-hmm. maybe he did it a little bit, but I don't think he went out and said, I'm going to run just like Rakim. I think you listen and you absorb that and you grow up on it and it becomes a part of your, of you, of who you are. It's not all of who you are, right? But it becomes a part of who you are. Yeah. When I look at Tom Scooby Radio on the line with John Celestine, I, I've spoken to some former players in the NBA and the WNBA, and they said one of their regrets is kind of that um, – in addition to Kobe Bryant being gone, is the fact that um, they felt that after Michael retired, I guess for the second time at this point, this is after the 97-98 season and lockout shortened season the following year, they felt like, you know, Kobe was like Michael Light. Um, you've been quoted as saying that, you you know, you didn't play with Michael Jordan, you only played with Kobe Bryant. Um and everybody's doing the ranking thing, you know, Colt Michael's here, Kobe's there, LeBron is there. I had Stephon Marbury on last week, and he said, you know, LeBron should be in the conversation. But when you look at Kobe Bryant and his skill set, um, have you had time to sit and think just about where he is in the place of basketball? Not necessarily ranking, or more so what his what his 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 body of work means for the game of basketball and culture. Have you reflected on that process? Um, I think I had to, you know, especially after his untimely passing. I don't think I had reflected on it until then um, because sometimes I just don't think it's fair when, and you said we're not ranking, but I don't think it's fair when we we're throwing the conversation around who's the best and Jordan and LeBron and Kobe, you know, look, nobody's ever going to be, at least in my lifetime, I don't think I'm going to see anybody better than Michael Jordan. You know, he he put it all together. He put it all together. And it was the closest thing once he started winning to perfection that, that you're going to ever see. Um, so the comparisons, it, it's just unfair because, Kobe Bryant was one of the best to ever do it, but because he couldn't eclipse Jordan, then we knock him down the ladder a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's what my, I mean, I don't know many people who could eclipse Jordan. You know what I'm saying? In mean, fact, there is nobody that could eclipse Michael Jordan. So with that said, though, I think 
think Kobe's one of the last old school NBA winners. You know what I'm saying? Like he was like that last that last era of look, I'm trying to cut your heart out. I'm not hanging out with you in the off season. This is old school how Magic and Larry didn't like each other, but but they respected each other, right? Mm-hmm. That that died after Kobe Bryant, right? I mean, because once LeBron and all of them came in, it was a different era. They grew up playing against each other in AAU so much. Like like like, think about it. I told you, I saw Kobe Bryant one time in high school in AAU, right? Mm-hmm. These guys play against each other maybe fifty times before they get to college. So there's a different bond with them. Whereas I remember thinking, man, I ain't never seen Allen Iverson. On the AAU circuit, I, first time I saw Allen Iverson was when he played at Georgetown. We were around the same age, mm-hmm. right? You know, I was right across the bridge from Stephon Marbury. I might have played against him maybe five or six times in high school. That's not a lot when you're like 45 minutes away, right? Yeah. So these guys grew up. It, it's just different. But Kobe's the last of that era. Like, yo, man, I'm not down with y'all. You were on the other team. I ain't going to dinner with you in the off season. I'm trying to kill you. You know what I'm saying out there, and so I I, I, I think that 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 strive for excellence, that that chasing of Michael Jordan, you know, five uh, titles. I you know I think I, I think we have to remember that we have to remember the greatness. He came to L.A. and did this, man. Like that's a lot of pressure, man. You it was One team. You got you got stars out: Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Wilt Chamberlain, Jerry West. It ain't like you coming somewhere like LeBron in Cleveland. Ain't nobody been good there, right? He came to, to L.A. and did it, man. So, Is Kobe the best Laker ever? No. Uh, I mean, it could be my bias, but I, I, I just can't put anybody over Magic John for me. Um, I feel the same way. Yeah, I I mean I love I love Kobe. He was my teammate. I wouldn't have a championship ring without him. But what Magic did, how fast he did it, how fast he had success, how many times he was in the finals, not just how many times he won, but how many times he was there and how he changed the game at that side, at that I I just can't. Now if Kobe would have won six yeah. and then I, you know, and, and and he had he won more without Shaq. You know what I'm saying? Because cause he Magic won with Kareem, but Kareem was older. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Magic Magic was the guy. So I and Magic played in a not that Kobe didn't play in a tough era, but Magic played in a really tough era when the Celtics were. I, I just can't I just can't elevate him over over Magic. And honestly, I sometimes wonder if he's better than Kareem. Kobe, you know, I, I I sometimes wonder if Kobe's not third, um, because Kareem, how long he did it, you know, it, it's tough. It's tough. It, 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 it's I can understand how some people might say Kobe's greater than Kareem or Magic. I, I can understand that, but I I wouldn't say it. Kareem, it's a it's a it's a toss up, but. Magic to me is the great. Scoop B Radio. Was Shaq's beef with Kobe oversold in the media? Um, I don't think so. Okay. I think 
I think they like. I think Shaq likes to say that. I think Shaq likes to say that it was it was it was marketing. They were doing it on purpose. But I was there. No, they they Shaq. It was more Shaq didn't really like Kobe at that point. I, I don't I don't think Kobe at that point. Now, now years later when I'm gone and. And Kobe's calling him fat and all that. That's different. I don't know about that, right? But when I was there, I don't think Kobe was as concerned with Shaq as Shaq was concerned with Kobe. Because Kobe at that time was starting to, you know, arrive, right? Um, you know, guards get more fanfare than big guys, right? You're more relatable. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm saying? So, but Shaq was still the best player we on the team at that point. He was our best player. That's that, it wasn't close, right? So the beef was more they're they're two different styles. You know, Kobe's reading a book, Kobe's coming to practice, Kobe's serious, Kobe wants you to work your ass off at every moment. Shaq can kind of show up and dominate people just off his sheer talent and ability because he was just physically more dominant than everyone. So he could jog through practice, he could loaf and still dominate us in practice and dominate in the game. And he was taking so much punishment during the during the season that he had to kind of sometimes loaf in practice. But Kobe didn't understand that. Yeah. He never understood that. Now, Kobe also didn't understand what it was like to be seven foot and be hacked all all, all the time. You know? Yeah. So I don't know if Kobe understood what it was like to run around with 300 pounds on you. So there was a disconnect there. I think Kobe was more serious about the game where Shaq was a more carefree, fun-loving dude. Rapping, movies, goofing around in the locker room. Kobe was always serious. And I don't know if Shaq liked that. Shaq wanted you to hang out with us, be part of the team. Kobe's like, nah, this ain't, this is a job. We're trying to be the best. You hanging out all the time. You're not taking this seriously. Shaq's is like, you're not taking camaraderie seriously. You're not taking being a part of a team seriously. It's all about you. You know? So so it was it was that thing going back and forth. Um, and it was amazing to me that they could make it work on the court and have such, uh, you know, be so angry at each other all the time off the court. So, were they fighting every day? No. But were there some tense times and words back and forth in the locker room and film sessions? And, yeah, a lot. A lot. Thanks. Yeah, I was always curious about that. As I'm older, I, I can see that the dynamics, they, they're complete sheer total opposites. But the thing that they had in common to me was the fact that they both respected the game. They just went about it two different ways. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, and I, I think as I think as Shaq got older, I think, I think they both made some mistakes in the relationship, and I think they both apologized to each other for it. Um, but me being in the be being there and watching it, I would all I always thought that Shaq was more the instigator of a lot of it, you mm. know. Where a lot of people think it was, I always thought it was more Shaq, you know? Um, 
you know, Shaq wasn't a great free throw shooter, man. We had to get the ball to Kobe at the end of the game. Like, that's just the way it was. Not because Kobe was better, but they could foul Shaq. You know, down the stretch, Kobe was our closer. And I'm not quite sure Shaq liked that, but that had, that, that was how it had to be. You know? So that's real. Um, Scoopy Lake, along with John Felstein. Villanova's finest. Uh, at the point when you were drafted uh, by the, by the, you were drafted in the NBA draft, uh, you joined names like Kerry Kittles, Tim Thomas, um, Alvin Williams, Jason Lawson, uh, to, you know, be part of that Villanova uh, fraternity of NBA guys. When you look at Villanova basketball um, and the changes within the Big East, do you think that Villanova stands the test of time as an elite uh, program in spite of the fact that everybody else has gone to other conferences? So are you saying that if the conferences didn't I'm, – I'm, I'm confused with your question. Are you saying if the conference, the Big East didn't break up, would Villanova still be elite if it was the same Big East? Yes. Man, that's a, that's a tough question. That's tough. <laughs> that's tough, man. Oh, man. Um, damn. I, I – I want to say, all right. I want to say yes. I want to say yes. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a very weak yes. <laughs> all right. Okay. And, and, and the reason why I'm saying yes is because Villanova was on their way up anyway. You know, it was, right. it was happening. Villanova, even before the Big East broke up, Villanova kept knocking on the door. You know. Well, like, like in the, with the years of the Randy Foy's and the Allen Rays, right? When, mm. when we were losing to North Carolina in the Elite Eight. Then you had the Scotty Reynolds, and we were getting to the Final Four. We were right there, you know? Um, and then the breakup with the Big East and all of that happened, right? But with that said, a lot of the great coaches were leaving the Big East, right? Jim Calhoun. and, and Because if Jim Calhoun – and, and don't get me wrong, I, I'm not saying – Jay Wright's not on that level. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is it's a grind when you still have Jim Calhoun and UConn and you got Syracuse every night and you had Pittsburgh at that time with Jamie Dixon. Was that, was that his name? Jamie, uh, Jamie, um, who was coach? Yeah. yeah, Jamie Dixon. There were a lot of great coaches in the Big East. So breaking it up, it does take a little bit of a wear and tear off of you, you know, all year long, playing against all of those great teams night in and night out. Because um, the Big East, don't get me wrong, it's still a pretty good conference, but it's nowhere near what it was when it was the original. When you had Syracuse, Connecticut, Pitt, St. John's, uh, you know, when you, when you had Georgetown. It, 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 when you had, you know, all of these teams that were a part of it, um, yeah, it's not the same. So, but I still think Villanova was on their way to that that plateau, you know. Um, so I'm gonna say yeah, they would have been there anyway. But you know, I'm an original Big East baby, man. I, I I'm I I don't think I've ever recovered 
from what they did to the Big East. Me you know? Yeah. To me, to me, it ain't the same. If Syracuse and Connecticut ain't in it, it, it ain't the same. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you think about it, man. The Big East was in the Coming to America movie. They were sitting at the garden when St. John's was playing. Yeah, there you go. There you go, man. I mean, you can't tell me. You know, we had a lot of additions over the years. And then, you know, you, a lot of teams came in there. West Virginia, you know, there was Boston Boston College. Was Miami came in. Rutgers, all these, you know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the, like, Syracuse, Connecticut, Pittsburgh. When mm-hmm. you took When you took them out, you know, that was, that was rough. That's like peanut butter, no jelly, ham, no burger. Right. <laughs> All right. All right. You're from Piscataway. And yes, sir. Carl Anthony Towns, Jr. comes out of Piscataway. Uh, yeah. His mother yes. recently passed away. Did you know his mom? Um, I knew of his mom and his. I knew his dad. Um, Carl Towns, Sr., was um, a pretty good basketball player at my high school, at the Scataway High School. And um, Carl Towns Sr. also coached at the Scataway Tech, which is another high school in town. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've, I've seen his mom a few times, but I never had a direct conversation with her. Have talked to his father a lot. Um, one of my best friends, his mother used to babysit Carl Towns when he was a baby. Wow. Um, and um, Carl Towns grew right up, grew up next door right next right next door to Kyle Wilson who played for the New York Jets. Um so there were a lot of athletes that came out of Piscataway. And um I, you know, to say I was distraught, like I said, I never knew his mom. I, I never had a conversation with her, but I I saw her around town. I knew who she was. And you never want to see that happen to anybody. But especially when there's somebody from your hometown who has made everybody so proud. Carl Towns, although he didn't go to Piscataway High School, he went to St. Joe's, which is our rival, but he's from Piscataway. He grew up in the Piscataway Rat. You know, he, you know, we were hearing about him when he was like in the eighth and ninth grade, you know? So it was, it was sad. And it really made it hit home that the virus is real. And, um, you know, there were a lot of people on our Facebook page, a lot of people from Piscataway that were just heartbroken, man. And, um, our hearts go out to him because, uh, you just don't want to see that happen to anybody, and it's, it's just very sad, man. Did you watch Carl Towns Jr. play in high school? Yeah, I um, I went and watched Carl Towns Jr. play against my alma mater, Piscataway, at St. Joe's High School. I saw him play at the rack. I want to say it was a county final game can't remember who they were playing, but I watched him a few times. And I remember thinking when I was watching him, man, this is too easy for him. But he was shooting so many threes that I was kind of, I was like, he's playing on the perimeter a lot. I was kind of like, I wonder if he's going to be able to do that at the next level. Or, you know, I was questioning his toughness. And um, he showed, when it was, I mean, he went right to the, to the Kentucky, and it was just like, he ain't even miss a beat, you know? So, um, showed you what I knew at that time, right? Because <laughs> uh, I also think that's today's big man. Today's big man, you got the Anthony Davis of the world, the Joel Embiid, the DeAndre Eaton's. Um, yeah. that, that, 
that game is more of a perimeter game for today's forward. And but at that time in high school, it was it was becoming that. That was mm-hmm. the transition of it, right? Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And I was just coming back from Europe, so I think I want to say when he was in high school, I was just either finishing up my career in Europe or something. So I want to say I was like, "What is he a European big man?" That's what I was thinking, you know. I was like in a, in a, but the game was transitioning, and I was fighting it. You know what I'm saying? Like, big guy should be down low. His back should be to the basket. He should be, you know. And um, shows you what I knew. The game changed. And he he, he went to Kentucky, and, and, you know, he made Piscataway proud. And I, I never forget one of the biggest things I was proud of when they were in the championship game, forgot who they played in the NCAA final. And all I wanted to hear was them say, out of Piscataway, New Jersey, you know how they announced everybody's hometown. And I just mm-hmm. I just wanted to hear that because I had never heard that before in an NCAA final. Mm. And uh, that, for me, made me so proud, just to hear them say his name from Piscataway, New Jersey, Scooby when they were introduced. What do you like about his game? Uh, and how he'll be able to move forward playing alongside D'Angelo Russell in Minnesota. Yeah, I, I like Carl Anthony Towns' versatility. I like his ability to face up. I like his ability to use both hands. Um, I like his motor. And I like that he doesn't get wrapped. Um, so, you know, and right now, it's killing me that we're not, we're not able to watch basketball. Because I wanted to see how this tandem was going to work, and D'Angelo Russell had a great year. You know, he had a great year. He, you know, he he went out to L.A. You know, and when he was in L.A., you know, coming to Brooklyn, just wondering like, well, what what type of player was he going to be outside of L.A.? He's been getting shipped around a lot, you know. But I I I think he's starting to come into his own, and um, I was just looking forward to seeing those two play play together. And, you know, now it's just, you know, how, how, how it shows you how rough COVID-19 is. We can't even relax and watch some basketball. So we'll, we'll see. But I'm, 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 I'm hoping that Carl Anthony Towns at some point can get over that hump where he starts to have that success in the playoffs. Because you don't want to get saddled with that. Kind of like what Kyle Lowry went through for, for a while where mm-hmm. people start, they, they, they start labeling you as somebody who's a great player and all-star, but once the playoffs come, you can't get it done or you can't get your team over the hump, you know? Yeah. You mentioned Kyle Lowry, Philadelphia's own, Cardinal Doherty's own, uh, Cardinal Doherty High School. Um, he definitely had to get over that hump. From your perspective, you being from Nova, him being from Nova, is he the best Toronto Raptor in franchise history? And I say that to say this. I know I'm getting you with future questions, but I said to myself, and I've said this on Twitter, if or with Kawhi Leonard winning a championship for Toronto, he eclipses Vince Carter because he brought them a ring. However, Vince Carter brought cultural significance to the city of Toronto. And in addition to that, Kyle Lowry has just been a consistent Raptor. Like those 10 years or almost 10 years, I'm not sure what year he's at now, but it kind of went fast, but he's been such the, the, the consistent, 
Yeah, plate of collard greens at the tofu restaurant every Sunday. <laughs> like, like, where do you put that? I, you know what? I, I'm gonna say this. I think Kyle Lowry would have to win another ring in Toronto for him to eclipse Vince Carter. Yeah. And I know Vince Carter never won a ring there, but Vince Carter was a highlight reel, and like you said, made Toronto, the city of Toronto, culturally significant. Yeah. Nobody was rapping about Toronto or anything. Now, now there was no there was no Drake at that time, right? But <laughs> Toronto's a great city, man. If you have, I don't know if you've ever been there. It's a great city. But you know how us Americans are. We don't know nothing about nothing that ain't in America, right? We spoiled. We spoiled. But Vince Carter put Toronto on the map. And Kyle Lowry, although he won a championship with him, he's been a consistent player, has not been that same consistent player in the playoffs. Um, until, until this, you know, he played well in one day one, right? So mm-hmm. he'd have to do it again and get two for me to say, you know, it's kind of like with LeBron. LeBron would have to get seven rings to eclipse Jordan in my, in my you know, because he lost so many, right? So, so you got to make up for the bad time. You gotta get more. You can't just get six. You gotta get seven or eight to make up for the times where you struggled to eclipse Jordan. To me, you know what I'm saying? And that's the same thing Kobe was gonna have to do. Kobe was gonna have to win six or seven. And I think it's the same thing with Kyle Lowry. You wanna eclipse Vince Carter? You gotta win two and play well. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before I let you go, Bill Nova. To me. This season, um, they were young. Yeah. When you look at what could have been uh, potentially, you know, with the tournament and the conference, you know, games and stuff like that, what were you looking forward to with Villanova? Um, I would say I was just looking forward to. I didn't think they were going to go far in the tournament this year. I didn't. I didn't think this was the year. I went. I went and watched them play against. Um, and who was it? Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that was the one game I saw in person. Oh no, I take that back. I saw them play against Kansas, and I saw them play against Georgetown here in DC. Um, neither game did I see Final Four potential. You know what I'm saying? Now we get a little spoiled because we. We ended a lot now. We're getting a little spoiled. But what I was looking for is just to see if they can keep that consistency and that toughness and that Villanova tradition now to get, like, to a Sweet 16 or something. For me, if they would have got that far, that would have set up everything for next year. You know what I'm saying? But I wasn't looking for a Final Four appearance this year. I just didn't think that was in them. Uh, as compared to some of the teams that they've had in the past, you know? Last question. When I look at the, the Lakers' roster that you played on, I'm looking at it now, you, Kobe, Derek Fisher, Rick Fox, Devin George, Augsburg State, Devin George, the three school, A.C. Green, Ron Harper, Robert Orrin, goes on and on and on, Tyron Lewis, Shaq, Glenn Rice. There's certain names that stick out to me. Mm-hmm. Two-part question. One, when you look at Ron Harper, and he, before being with the Lakers, played with the Bulls, and before that was a star 
in Cleveland with the Cavaliers. Mm-hmm. When you looked at his career and then you were teammates with him, do you think that it was a seamless transition to L.A. when he was the starting point guard? Yes. Yes. Um, you know, and I'll say this, and I'm not ashamed to say this. When they signed Ron, I was mad. Because <laughs> I, I knew I wasn't going to play. I, you know, I already, when I got there, I was like, damn, okay, I got, they, got, they got Fisher. Um, they got Kobe. Tyron Lue was there, right? Then they signed Brian Shaw. Uh, but when, when when I heard Ron Harper was coming, and I knew Ron Harper had that connection with Phil Jackson from the Laker days, I was yeah yeah he got he got three rings already. Mm-hmm. I'm like, there's no way I'm playing. No matter what I do, I'm not playing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the only reason I got to play a lot at the beginning of the season was because Kobe broke his wrist. So our first 15 or 16 games, I was playing a lot. Right. Um. But one thing I do remember was when Ron showed up, once he got in shape, it was seamless. It was like he he didn't do anything great anymore at that age, right? He didn't shoot great. He didn't move that great. But he was a veteran, and he was a calming factor for us. He knew that triangle offense. He knew where the ball had to go at all times. He had one, so there was no pressure on him to win, right? He was already a winner. The pressure was on Colby and Shaq. He could have lost, and he's like, well, I got my three rings, right? So he was able to come there and show us the things that we had to do to win, and he, he did it. It was seamless. Like even Brian Shaw. Brian Shaw came there. He was a veteran, but he had never played, ran a triangle before. So he was learning. Ron Harper was the one saying, no, here's an option. Here's what you can do if they overplay you. Don't throw the ball to the corner. Do this. You know, he, he, I don't think we win a championship if he wasn't there. Uh, I, I really don't think we do. I don't think we win a championship if he was there. Second part to that question. Tyron Lewis, the Nebraska guy, out of the state of Missouri. Mm-hmm. Everybody talks about the Allen Iverson step off when he, you know, stepped over AI. Aside from all of that, I've always thought he was a brilliant mind. The way he watched tape, the way he studied. Are you surprised at the success that Tyron Lue has had as a head coach and as an assistant coach? Not at all. Um, Tyron Lue loved the game of basketball. When I was a rookie, people don't remember this, but Tyron Lue was hurt most of that year. He had a um, – something was wrong with his knee. I can't remember what it was, but he had a knee issue. So he didn't play a lot that year um, because he was in and out – he was on and off the IR with some kind of knee issue. Right. Um, but Tyron Lee, I remember being on the bench because we, we both sat on the bench a lot. Right. And after a while, it gets monotonous, man. Like, when you sit in 30, 40 games, it starts to get monotonous. And there were some days where I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking about when I'm going to eat after the game. Right. <laughs> right. Tyron Lee was always into the game. He was always watching little things. He said, did you see that? And I'm like, what? I, I didn't. He's like, come on, man. He's not a pit. Like, he was always breaking down little intricacies. He knew about other players and what they liked to do. So I was, not, I was not surprised that he would be able to break down the game like he, like he did. And he understood. So like, Tyron Lue was one of the more well-liked guys on the team. 
so he understands how to deal with guys, how to deal with Kobe, how to deal with the superstars. You know, he played with Kobe, he played with Shaq, he played with Michael Jordan. You know what I'm saying? He he understands that part. Um, so I I wasn't surprised at all that he was able to go in and he was under Doc Rivers for a long time. So he learned from another coach who I think is one of the best. Um, I'm not surprised. Not surprised. Mr. Sellerstein, here's the good news. You're off the hot seat, brother. <laughs> There's lots, lots of tough questions there. Lots Man, of tough questions there. Listen, I would get, spirit speaks to spirit, game speaks to game. And um, you definitely know basketball, and you've definitely not only been accomplished in your own right, but you've been around a, a, around a lot of veterans yourself. So anytime you get to sit with someone who's been around basketball minds, I'm sure there's stories for days without being too invasive. Right. Right. And I appreciate you being honest. No problem. No problem. Thanks, Scoop. I uh, appreciate you having me on, man. Scoop B Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter. A health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.